Hey, welcome to week one of a series that God is using to change me, and I know he's going to use it to bring so much hope and inspiration to you. We're studying the book of Acts, and our series is called Faith First. You know, in a world where so much is out of our control, we're choosing to put our faith first. In fact, if you're on our mailing list, if you're in our system, you got a mailer with a little sermon journal, and it says this, choose a vibrant faith in an unpredictable world. So if you got that in the mail, you can grab that out right now. Now, if you didn't get our journal here in August, here's how you can get one in September. Text the word FIRST to 317 350-1996, we're going to be sending out a little mini journal like this with every sermon series every month. Now, by the way, even if you got the August one, if you want to get the September journal, make sure you text that word first to 317-350-1996. Here's what I can tell you. There's a spiritual battle going on right now for the souls and the minds of the people we love and of ourselves. God wants us as a church to take territory in this time. And we're committed as a leadership to keeping you engaged in the word of God because we're not playing defense anymore. We're not sitting around anymore. We are going to take territory for the kingdom of God together. If you're on board with me, text that word first. You'll get that journal and lots of other ways to stay connected with what God is doing right now. Well, I know this week's been exciting. It's also been a stressful week for all our young families because it was the first week of school or the first couple days of school. And for a lot of us, that meant Zoom meetings. The parent-teacher meetings were done by Zoom. A lot of our students are doing school online. And as I've been doing Zoom meetings, both for work and with teachers, it made me think of this hilarious advertisement from Progressive. See if you can relate to this ad. Let's take a look. All right, All right. so I'll start. start. Oh. oh, do you want to go first? No, no, I don't. You go, go. I was just going to say on slide seven, talking about bundling and saving. Uh, Jamie, you're cutting out. Sorry, I'm late. Hey, whoever's doing that, can you go on mute? Oh, my bad. I was just saying there's a typo on slide seven. Bundle home and auto for big disco snouts. I think that's supposed to say discounts. Are you sure about that? Hey, can you guys see me? I love that commercial because it pretty much summarizes life right now. Whether it's frustrating Zoom calls with your job or with your kids' teachers or just everything else going on in the world, 2020 has been such a difficult year so far. And here's something that I've observed in myself and in a lot of the people around me. When we lose control or when we lose predictability, our natural response is to become edgy. We get a little bit on edge or even outright angry. I mean, maybe you've seen some of these social media posts of people who got so angry when they were told they had to wear a mask. And it's like, you know, what a silly thing to get angry about. They're on edge because so much in our lives that seemed like it was in our control is no longer in our control. And things that used to be predictable, like going to the store and getting toilet paper, well, this year we've experienced what was predictable is no longer predictable. 
And families have been stressing out about, you know, which option do we use for our kids for school? And other people are stressing out about wearing masks. Business owners are legitimately worried about the future here through the fall of their businesses. All of us are dealing with unpredictability, with a loss of control to some degree. And humanly, the natural response is a fight or flight response. It's biologically hardwired into us and we get edgy or we get angry, or we get critical, or we can get lethargic and just become kind of passive and just, you know, what's the point of even trying? In fact, I love this still shot from that commercial we looked at because I just feel like that captures so much of the emotion for so many of us right now, right? It's like, whether you want to call it lethargy, apathy, fatigue, discouragement, whatever you want to call it, like, isn't that So many of us, can anyone else relate? Is anyone else tired of the Zoom meetings and the masks? Anyone else tired of just feeling like we're being carried along in this current that we can't control? Well, we're in the book of Acts for this series, Faith First, and here's what we're gonna see. A group of 11 believers who are even more discouraged than we are, whose lives were completely out of control. In fact, they were running for their lives. They were hunted And we're going to see Jesus show up, and we're going to see him do miracles. In fact, he's going to take those 11 frightened disciples, and he's going to use them to begin a movement of 120. And then the Holy Spirit's going to show up. And in one sermon, that movement of 120 is going to multiply and explode to 3,120. And then one sermon later, 5,000 more people are added, and it's 8,120. And that movement of God continues today. In fact, did you know that in the world today, one out of three people alive today says, I'm a follower of Jesus. And it all started with 11 discouraged people who lived at a time when their surroundings were completely unpredictable and completely out of their control. Now it's tempting with the book of Acts. We've got miracles. We're going to see people raised from the dead. We're going to see when a Christian is imprisoned that the people pray and the prison walls fall down. We're going to see lots of really fun, exciting stuff. But it would be tempting to skip over the reality that these disciples start their journey feeling very much like what we're feeling right now. In fact, probably even more so, they're discouraged They're downhearted. Why? Because the way Jesus explained his kingdom coming and how he would rule and reign, well, it just hasn't played out the way that they thought it would. For three years, they followed Jesus and they heard him say that he's a king and he's going to set up this kingdom. And they didn't really understand this idea of him dying on the cross. And then after he raised from the dead, the things that he said to them continued to confuse them. In fact, you could put it this way. Jesus' followers, well, they experienced layer upon layer of frustration, layer upon layer of disappointment, layer upon layer where Jesus says it's all about the kingdom. And then we're going to see in the passage today, they're like, so is the kingdom here now? And he's like, well, actually, uh, no, now I'm going to give you this thing called the Holy Spirit. (laughs) He just throws them a curveball. And of course, he's God and he's got a perfect plan. But just like you and me, They had to struggle with how the plan seemed to change at times, and it was just different than what they expected. 
So open up your Life Application Study Bible if you have one or follow along with me on the screen as we're reading in Acts 1 and verse 3 tells us this. During the 40 days after Jesus suffered and died. So this is after Jesus has raised from the dead for 40 days, he appeared to the apostles. Now the apostles are those who had actually seen Jesus in his public ministry and then saw him raised from the dead. So at this time, there's 11 of them because you remember one of the 12, Judas, had betrayed Jesus. By the way, if you're ever walking with other Christians and one turns away or one turns on you, remind yourself, even Jesus, one of his 12, turned away. It's human nature. The people around us are imperfect. We are imperfect, but we keep following a perfect God. You know, I'm skipping ahead here, but I just have to tell you from my heart that here's what I see as a pastor and a shepherd. There's a massive spiritual migration that is happening in our nation. People are moving around because people are it's so easy to disengage from church. And by God's grace, so many of you in our congregation are staying so faithful and so engaged. But I believe we've got to fight for our families in this time. In fact, I believe we have a calling as brothers and sisters in Christ. The word of God says, if you see a brother or sister in sin, to confront them. And I think we've got a calling to say, hey, other believers I know in my church family, are you being faithful? Are you leading your family spiritually? Because here's what I can tell you. In the next six months, people will either grow radically in their faith because of the choices they make, or many will fall away because of the choices they make. God doesn't want you to be a Judas. He's got better plans for you. So back to our text. The 11 apostles, Jesus would appear to them. Now, this is kind of weird if you think about it. He would appear to them from time to time. Now, some of these instances are recorded earlier than Acts in the Gospels. For example, you know that Thomas, one of the 11, known as Doubting Thomas, he kept telling the other guys, hey, you say you've seen Jesus, but that's just, there's no way he could have risen from the dead. You know, I saw him tortured. I saw him murdered. There's no way. And then Jesus appears to him. And you might remember that story. Jesus says, Thomas, you know, go ahead examine the holes in my hands, examine the hole in my side, see that I'm risen from the dead miraculously. Thomas, do you believe now? And he says, my Lord and my God. So Jesus would appear like this. Another time we know Peter and the disciples, they were fishing and Jesus appears. He says, throw your net on the other side of the boat. They catch a bunch of fish and they realize, oh, it's Jesus. And Peter freaks out. He jumps out of the boat. He swims to Jesus. And they have breakfast there together, fish breakfast on the seashore. So for 40 days, we have two or three of these instances recorded, but not all of them. But here's what's interesting about it. It was completely unpredictable. Jesus would appear to them not when they wanted not on a schedule. He wouldn't say, well, guys, you know, it was nice hanging out today. Good having fish breakfast on the shore. Um, tomorrow, mark your, mark your uh, watches for 3.30. I'll see you guys tomorrow at 3.30. He wouldn't tell them when he was going to appear again. It was from time to time. And while that's exciting, it's also unpredictable. But it was in this time that he proved to them in many ways that he was physically alive, that he was fully alive. Verse six tells us this. So when the apostles were with Jesus, one of these times that he appears to them, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and for you to restore our kingdom? This is not a bad question. 
Because you might recall from our July series, Kingdom, this was the main thing Jesus taught about. For three years, Jesus taught them about the kingdom, and now they say, okay, you died on the cross. We were kind of not expecting that, but now you've risen from the dead. You're kind of making these random appearances. Are you going to set up the kingdom? The answer he gives them is not the answer they want. He replies to them, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times. In other words, Jesus taught that he will return a second time and he is gonna set up his kingdom on earth and that's why we wait faithfully and we serve him faithfully until then. But Jesus, when the disciples say, okay, Lord, you know, you're coming, you're going, you died on the cross, we're hated, we're outcasts, are you gonna set the kingdom up? His answer is, I can't tell you when that'll happen. But here's what he says, it's not for you to know. Could you imagine the emotion in that moment? You know, these guys have just been on an emotional roller coaster. They've followed Jesus. And then we know that verse in the gospels, it says they all deserted him and fled when he was being crucified. Peter has denied Jesus three times. Now Jesus has risen from the dead. I mean, just this emotional up and down. And Jesus says, I still can't tell you all the things you want to know. I'm going to tell you something that you're not expecting. And maybe you don't even want, but it's my plan for you. He says in verse 8, instead of what you want, here's what's going to happen. You will receive power. Now, in future weeks, we're going to get into this. This is a power that is available to you today. It's such a dynamic power. It has changed my life. I can't wait for you to experience it. But today we're focusing on this. Jesus says, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you're going to receive power. In other words, the disciples are saying, it's the kingdom, Lord, right? It's the kingdom? Yes, the kingdom? No, oh, no, it's not the kingdom. Oh, it's the Holy Spirit. Okay, so now, Jesus, I've followed you for three years. You've done things a little differently than I expected. And now you're saying, instead of you walking with me physically, you're gonna give me this Holy Spirit that I can't even see. And that's a good thing, you're telling me, Lord. You're telling me that's a good thing. And then Jesus says this. You're going to go and be my witnesses. Now, this word witness, it's actually the Greek word martyr. It's where we get our word a martyr, someone who dies for their faith. In fact, out of these 11, 10 of them will die. I mean, in, in very horrific ways because they won't renounce Christ. Peter will be crucified upside down. Uh, many of them will be tortured publicly and they continue to say, no, I saw Jesus raised from the dead. The testimony of these 11 witnesses produced modern Christianity, which produced universities and hospitals. And even the vaccine was invented by a follower of Jesus, Edward Jenner. Anyhow, you will be my martyr witnesses. God, that, that's not really what we were looking for. And you're going to tell people about me everywhere. You're going to tell them about me in Jerusalem, where I was crucified, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. For us today, we could say in Brownsburg, in Hendricks County, in Indiana, and to the ends of the earth. Well, after saying this, Jesus was taken up into a cloud while they were watching. Yeah, I love reading the Bible through a lens that just says, what would that have felt like? I mean, these disciples have been on this emotional roller coaster. Okay, the Holy Spirit's going to come. We're going to be your martyr witnesses. And then Jesus just levitates. 
And, and like when you watch a helium balloon or a bird and it just keeps going higher and higher, they're watching him go higher and higher into the clouds. And while they're watching, they could no longer see him. Now think about this. For these 40 days since Jesus has risen, he appears, he disappears. He appears, he disappears. Never before has he levitated through the clouds. I think they have a sense in this moment that they're not going to see him again in this life. And just think of the emotion of those words. For these guys who've left homes and families and businesses, they've given up everything to follow Jesus, and now they can no longer see him. I got to tell you, when you commit to follow Jesus, there will be seasons in your life when you can no longer see him. Those are the times when your faith is tested. Peter said that your faith is of more worth than pure gold, and it's tested when you can't see. That's why Paul wrote, and he said, we walk by faith, not by sight. It's the times that we can't see what's ahead. It's the times that we don't understand why things are happening. It's the times when everything we thought we could count on is unpredictable and moving. Those are the times when our faith gets exposed for what it is. And those are the times when our faith can grow the most in him if we'll choose faith. And that's our anthem here in August is to choose faith, to put faith first as a brother, as a shepherd, as a pastor. I've got to tell you, choose to put faith first right now. And no matter what happens in the coming months, God will grow your spiritual muscles. He will grow you in deep, deep ways. But if you get apathetic, If you just kind of zone out and tune out, it will reveal a weakness of faith. God's got a better plan for you. Now, look at this. After Jesus levitates into the clouds, they strained to see him rising into heaven. So they're standing there, they're squinting up, and they're, I mean, everything they've staked their life on has just floated up into heaven And they're straining with their eyes. And as I read this text and as I prayed and said, God, as a leader, what is your word to our congregation? He just put on my heart the amount of frustration that they must have been feeling. The amount of frustration that you must be feeling in some areas of your life where layers of control have been lost. Where plans have been constantly changing and frustrating. And here's an observation before we get to our big idea. Faced with layers of disappointment and frustration, we've already learned this, we can become in our own nature edgy, critical, or we can choose faith first. And we're going to see the disciples for all their flaws and all their imperfections, which let us know that we're just like them, flawed and imperfect people, we're going to see them choose to put faith first. Now, I'm not pretending that that's an easy choice for you. I got to tell you, the other week, I was home with my kids on a weekend that I wasn't preaching. And I was doing church online in one room, and I was trying to get them set up in the other room. And there was some, some technical difficulties, and then one of them lost their headphones. And, and I had this moment where I thought, oh my goodness, I'm the lead pastor of the church, and this doing church online is so hard for me. I can't imagine how hard it is for everyone else. And I got to say, guys, I'm so proud of you for hanging in there. 
August is about us saying we are rallying together. And no matter what happens in these next months, from now till Christmas, we're putting faith first. Whether it's online, whether it's in person, no matter what happens in this unpredictable world, we're going to band together. We're going to put faith first. And I know that's not easy, but I know it's possible. The disciples did it when it seemed impossible. It was such a hard choice, but it was a possible choice. I know it's a hard choice for you, but it's a possible choice for you. And it's a worthwhile choice for you and your family. Well, how is it that the disciples put faith first? Jesus had said, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem. He promises this mysterious, mystical Holy Spirit. He levitates and disappears. They're all standing there. What do they do next? Well, let's look at verse 12 and see. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem. Now, this is not by accident. The disciples at this point, they only know really one thing that Jesus has said. He said, I'm going to go prepare a place for you. You're my martyr witnesses. And the movement starts in Jerusalem. It goes from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, etc. And so what do they do? They take the one step of obedience that they know. They say, well, he said it starts in Jerusalem. I guess we go back to Jerusalem. Don't underestimate the simplicity of your next step of obedience. Your next step of obedience might be to get baptized. We've got a bunch of new believers getting baptized here in a couple weeks. Your next step of obedience might be to say, you know what? I'm not going to miss a single week in August. Every weekend, I'm going to make sure, whether online or in person, that I'm part of what God's doing. I'm putting faith first. Very often, we want to know, God, what are the next 50 steps? And he says, I'll tell you the next one. And once you take it, I'll show you the next one. And then when you take that one, I'll show you the next one. This is how we grow. It's why it's called walking by faith, not by sight. You can only walk one step at a time, no matter how good you are at walking. And they get to Jerusalem and it says this, when they arrived, they went to the upstairs room of the house where they were staying. So what did they do? They went back to, you might remember the Lord's Supper in the upper room. They said, well, Jesus isn't here. We're going to do the one thing we know we're supposed to do. And then as much as we can, we're going to live out the things that Jesus taught us to do. He taught us to gather together. He taught us to meet together. And that's what they do next. They met together and they were constantly united in prayer. You know, of all the miracles that Jesus does in the Gospels and later that he does here in the book of Acts, These miracles never happened when an individual was alone in their house with their door closed. These miracles happened in groups. Now, thanks to technology, we can be a group even when we're alone in our house. God wants to do miracles, but he's not going to do miracles in your life if you're isolated from other believers. You've got to stay part of the tribe. You've got to stay part of the movement. And if you don't have here in our church family other believers who know you by name, text the word groups to us. We'll get you in a group. We want you to have people who know you by name, who will show up if you're sick, who will bring you food, who will meet your needs, who will pray with you. It's God's desire for you to be meeting together and for us to be constantly united. We don't let the enemy divide us and we're united in prayer. Now, prayer might sound intimidating to you, but you know what most prayer is? It's just telling God what you're frustrated with. God, I can't believe this is happening. God, here's another thing that's out of my control. That's what praying is. It's talking to God and saying, God, would you help me in this area? 
It's as they're doing that, that God's Holy Spirit later shows up. And then he's going to change the world through them. So question, how can you put faith first in your life today? Here's the answer. Choose faith by owning what you can control. There are things in your life that you can control. And by the way, who decides what you can control and can't control? God does. Right In the text we saw, the disciples, they sure would have loved to be in control of the temple and armies and all sorts of stuff, but God knew they didn't need to be in control of those things. In fact, really all they had control over was their bodies, 11 of them. They said, well, we don't really have power over anything else, but we can unite together and pray. Control what you can control. And then here's the really, really hard thing for us as Americans, as control freaks, release the things you can't control. Let them go. We can't control COVID. We can't control the presidential election. We can't control the economy. We can't control what governors do or what schools do. There's so much that we can't control. And I just want you to think about this. If the disciples here in Acts chapter one, if they had focused on the things they couldn't control, Jesus levitates into the sky and they all start talking and say, well, I don't get this. You know, he's not setting up the kingdom, the Holy Spirit, and you know, that, that ruler in Rome is terrible. Why would we go back to Jerusalem? That's where Jesus was killed. I mean, the mob, I, who knows, the mob might come after us. We can't control that. They could have focused on all these things they can't control, and they would have missed out on the work of God in their lifetime, but instead, they did obey the things they could control. Here's what God's been teaching me as I've been studying this. There are so many more things in my life that I can control than I realized. And you might be looking at me and you might say, oh, John, you don't understand. I, I can't control my schedule. I, my work tells me when I, when I work. I can't control my spouse or kids. By the way, I can't control my spouse or kids either, okay? I can't control the people who work for me. I can't control the church or the people in the church. There's so much more out of my control than you think, but I've learned there's so much more under my control. And guess what? God decides that, and he's decided it for you. You've got way more control than you might realize over what time you wake up over what you put in your body, over what you put in your mind. As I think about owning what we control, I think about a story that's happened a couple weeks ago. One of my daughters was playing on a little Amazon Kindle device that's made for kids. And the device had this chat feature and she was on there chatting with other people. I said, oh, sweetie, remember my rule is you're not allowed to do any games that have chat. She said, well, dad, you know, why not? It's just other kids. And I tried to explain to her, you know, it might not just be other kids on there and you're pretty young and vulnerable and that's why you can't do games with chat. And she just couldn't understand. And I finally had to just say, you know what, sweetie? You might not be able to understand why you can't do a game that has chat, but I do. And so I'm taking this away. And she lost control of that game. Why? Because I love her. Now, she has lots of other games she can play. Don't, don't worry. <laughs> She's doing great. And there's lots of other games now on that device she can play that don't have live chat. Why? Because at a very young, vulnerable age, I want to protect her from things she's not even aware of. And you know what? We can spend our lives really getting angry and throwing a fit about the things that God has chosen to be out of our control. Or we can take major ownership 
of the things that God has allowed to be under our control, our mind, our body, our schedule, our family, our home, our domain. Well, how do you do this? I've got to give you a great, great tip. It's called Two Lists, and it comes from an author, a Christian, really a man of God and a psychologist named Dr. Henry Cloud. He writes about this idea of having two lists, and I gotta tell you guys, every time in my life when things seem out of control, these two lists make such a difference. In fact, in your Faith First journal for August, you can open it up, or you can just take a blank piece of paper if you don't have one of the journals, and on one side, you write, things I cannot control. And this is so healthy to just write out, you know, I can't control COVID. I can't control the economy. I can't control so many things. It's healthy to write those out. And even when you get to the bottom of that list, you can groan those back to God and say, God, these are the things that are frustrating me. Guess what? It does a lot more good to groan it to God than on Facebook or wherever else to a bunch of people who can't fix it. God actually can help you, okay? But more importantly is this side of the list where you start to write out, what are things I can control? And if you don't know where to start, start super simple. I can control what time I wake up in the morning. I can control what I read. I can control if I'll be part of church every weekend. I can control if I'm in a small group. If I have kids or grandkids, I can control if they're watching Kids City Online every weekend. And you'll find as you start to write these things out, and by the way, it can be non-spiritual things. You can control you know, the length of the grass in your yard if you want. Go out and mow the lawn and just say, wow, I controlled that. That can be a really healthy thing. There's so much that you actually can control. I'll show you some of my recent list. You know, I can't control when the governor says if churches can be open or closed. I can't control COVID or schools or the economy. I can control saying, I'm gonna worship every weekend. I can control my habits and my routine. I can control praying every day. I can control leading my family. And I happen to believe the things that we can control are things we will give account to God for. He's not gonna ask you, did you cure COVID? Or did you make a certain candidate get elected? But he is gonna ask you, did you lead your spouse spiritually? Did you read the word of God and pray? Were you faithful in your church? Were you faithful in your giving? When things got hard, did you band together? Did you wander away? He is going to hold us accountable for the things that we can control. You know, I have to believe with what's going on in the world today that God, he's allowing us to live through this time. And if he's allowing us to live through this time, I have to believe God wants to stir up a little faith in us. God wants to see who's really loyal to him. He wants to stir up some faith in our church. And I believe this is the season, this is the time for us to prove our faith to him and show our faithfulness by putting faith first. You know, I have to believe with what God's allowing you to live through that God wants to stir up a little bit of faith in you. I have to believe with what he's allowing us to live through as a church, he wants to stir up some faith in us. It was the believers who went through the most difficult times who saw the biggest miracles. In fact, that's part of the anatomy of a miracle. It starts with a crisis, with a problem. Let's look really quick at this two lists exercise. You got to do this this week. Let's consider it for Peter and the disciples. Things they couldn't control, that they were hunted. That there was only 11 of them. 
They couldn't control their past failures when they had denied Christ and run away from him. They had no resources, no land, no army. Those were all things they couldn't control. But what could they control? Gathering with other believers, praying together, believing Jesus' promises. You got to claim his promises for you in this season. You got to gather every weekend online or in person. You got to be part of one of our communities. Here's what I can tell you for this next year. If you will own your schedule, own your habits, and own your routine, it will shape your emotions and your outlooks. It'll completely shape who you are and what you look like. I love this example. This is one of our families doing church online with their kids, and they posted about it on social media. And if you're struggling to do church online with your kids, text the word family to us. We got a whole group of families who share ideas about here's what works, here's what doesn't work. We've got other families who will work together with you, some even in person, if you want to get together. You know, here's the reality. Sunday was originally called the Lord's Day. It's actually why it's the first day of the week in the Western world. It was the day that Jesus rose from the dead. And as followers of Jesus, we're called to give him our first and our best. That's why churches have met traditionally on Sunday mornings. We give God our first. Now, whether you do church on Saturday night or Sunday or some other time in the week, make it your first thing every week. Make it your top priority every week. This is God's time. We prioritize him every week because we need him every week. We need him protecting us from car accidents as we drive. We need him forgiving our sins. We need him pouring out grace in our marriages to give us grace for each other. We need him giving health to our bodies. Join me in saying, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We're going to put faith first in our church, in our families, in our community. We might not be able to control a bunch of other things out there in the world, but we can control that. What does it look like to put faith first? Well, we want to walk with you in that. You can text the word first to 317-350-1996. You'll start to get our monthly packet mailed to you, but so much more than that. Many of you have supported our vision called Greater Things. A full year before COVID, God gave us a vision to be reaching people online. And it was because of that vision and because of so many of your support for it that we were ready when COVID hit to go fully online. Well, guess what? What you're experiencing online right now is just the first little bit of what we have planned for you. And texting first gets you pre-registered for September when we're going to unveil a whole new array of tools to help you every day and every week to experience God, to be part of this community as together we say, God, we want to be like the believers in the book of Acts. We might not be able to control everything in our world, but we're going to obey you one step at a time. We're going to put faith first in our world. Here's what we know. If we put faith first for the things that we can control, you will handle the things that we can't control. Would you put faith first together with me? Let me pray that for you right now. Father, I pray for every brother and sister in this moment. We're making a choice for today, but Lord, we're praying this choice over the upcoming week, over the upcoming month, Lord, over the rest of 2020, God, would you make us people who put faith first? Would you make us people who obey you one step at a time? And Lord, just like those 11 disciples, their heads must have been spinning the emotional roller coaster they were on. Lord, we don't know what all we'll go through in this next year, but we know that you're faithful. 
We know that you've given us control over the things you want us to have control over. So Lord, may we be faithful. May we choose faith first. Lord, may we fight our battles by, by prioritizing you, by calling out to you. And Lord, in our church, we pray that you would pour out your spirit. Make us men and women of your word, of prayer, of obedience, of faith and unity, that together we would see you do miracles, just like you did in the book of Acts. Do them here in our lives, in our families, and in our world. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.